Hey, welcome to the first episode of In a Nutshell podcast. I'm so excited to finally be doing this, and I hope you all enjoy. I apologize for the delay. I know I said that the original podcast would be up on November 9th. However, as you all know, life gets in the way. And I was waiting on doing a couple of things because I'm OCD like that. And I just decided to do it anyway, even though I don't have those things. I should have put December 10th instead of November 9th or December 9th, whatever. But I'm going to do it anyway. And it will definitely be up by December 9th since it's December 1st. If you would all bear with me, I'm still learning this process. I'm still learning editing. I don't know if I'm going to edit this. If it seems to go seamlessly throughout, then I'm going to probably just post it as is and then work on editing later. If it goes like a train wreck, then I will definitely edit some out because I do work with Anchor and their editing is very easy and seamless to figure out. I am not sponsored by Anchor. Let me just put it that way. But I did start my podcast through Anchor. They are very easy to work with. Their interface is wonderful. Uh, it was very easy to distribute to all the platforms. And if you don't know anything about podcasting and you want to start a podcast, they're really the perfect place to go. I do sound like I'm doing a commercial for them, but Again, I'm not sponsored by them, maybe someday, but not right now. I also did not have any idea how long it takes to put a podcast together as far as the dialogue is concerned, so that one doesn't sound like a maniac. So I decided to write a script. It took way longer than I thought. I did it one night while my kids were sleeping, and I started at probably 10 p.m. and thought, okay, this is going to just take a couple of hours to get this all in a format where I can just, you know, glance at the notes, start doing the podcast, and then it'll be done. I didn't plan on doing the podcast that night, just the script part. And the next thing I look at the clock and it's like 4 a.m. And I thought it was one. And so I was like, wow, this really does take a lot longer than I thought. Especially if you're OCD like me and you want everything to be perfect. But again, I looking back on some things that I've heard about people starting podcasts, they said, don't worry about perfection, just get something out there. And I'm glad I am because when I actually looked at Anchor today, it seems like I've actually had quite a few people, not quite a few, but I don't know, but some people in other countries actually look at my podcast and listen to that original video, or not video, the original podcast episode that I did where I had said that I was going to have a podcast out by November 9th. And that was really surprising to me. I'm really excited about that because I didn't have any kind of 
title about what this podcast would be about, but they listened to it anyway, which was great. So if I was just talking off the cuff here, we would have literally been all over the place. So that's again, the reason for the script or lack of, for lack of a better term, I know what else to call it. I needed to keep all my thoughts together and keep the topic flowing in a normal direction. I've seen and heard multiple things about podcasting that all say at the beginning that you are going to be all over the place, but that's just something that I couldn't, I couldn't grasp in my brain and uh, it would have been physically uncomfortable for me to do it that way. Putting certain details aside is not easy for me to do. Others, I'm okay, but certain ones, no. So today, for this first episode, we'll be talking about the Mandela Effect. There will be some examples and some theories about what causes it. Some of the theories come from me. Some of the theories come from the masses and from scientists and so on. I'll get to those at the end. Uh, I do just want to say real quick, though, that I am recording this on my computer as an audio experiment, even though I primarily use Anchor on my phone. And Anchor is made to use for the phone. It's also made to use for the computer, but it is it is set up so that it makes it the easiest possible way to do a podcast, which is via your phone. Um, because I want to also do a YouTube channel, I'm trying to see what is the best audio to use. So for this episode, I'm going to use my computer. The next one, I will use my phone. I will see which one sounds better, and then we'll go with that in the future. So a real quick introduction about me. I am an autism mom. I also have Asperger's which for those who don't know is a form of autism. I did work on an ambulance in a major city for 10 years. And after that, I was a police dispatcher for almost another 10 years before my son was born. I now live in a very small town in a state with not a lot of people, which was I was not used to at first, but it helps with the road rage that I had in the larger city. And it is also very beautiful here and a wonderful place to raise my kids. I am interested in so many things. It's so many. The The topics are off the charts of what I'm interested in. I'm going to try to narrow it down a little bit so it's not all over the place. But as far as episode to episode topics are concerned, uh, I may try to segue from one vein of conversation into another one topic into another so that it's not such a jarring difference from the prior podcast but it will be a variety of topics and hopefully that's what you enjoy too that's what personally excites me about this is that I can talk about all of the things that I like but I am going to try to create a flow once I get some listeners to interact with me, I would love to take some suggestions for topics for future podcasts. Hopefully we gel and we can come up with things that we all want to listen to. And I will do the 
best research I can. I do have a YouTube channel set up already with the same name where I will be posting the same podcasts, but with some photo or video visuals to go along with it. However, I am not the kind of person that can put a ton on my plate at once. So I'm going to work on these first few audio episodes until I get the hang of editing and posting. And then I'll start learning to record and edit YouTube videos. One of my favorite YouTubers whose editing skills make me so jealous actually answered me and told me what software he uses to edit. And I'm going to try it out as soon as I get to that point. They do have a free trial. And so I have to make sure that I'm ready to go with the free trial <laughs> because uh, I can't start paying for something that I'm not sure that I understand how to use. But I do appreciate his input and help. And I am going to shout him out at some point because he is hilarious and makes me laugh. And he absolutely deserves more subscribers than he has. At the end of the podcast, I'll let you know my email account for the podcast. I am on Instagram and I'll let you know my YouTube channel name. It is actually the same name as the podcast, but right now if you search for it, you won't find it because there are not any videos uploaded at the moment. I'll also leave links to all of these in the description if I can figure out how. If not, I just want to get the podcast out. So just find me on Instagram at in a nutshell pod, all one word, and I'll post the links on there. And as far as the YouTube channel is concerned, I do want to make a custom URL to make it easier to find, but YouTube apparently doesn't let you do that until you have a hundred subscribers. So we'll get to that or we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, maybe when I don't look like the walking dead, I'll post a short on there just to get something on the channel and do a quick update about when video podcasts might be coming out and then maybe it will pop up in a search. I really don't know how that works. So I do love to organize things. And by that, I mean, you could dump a tub of random things in front of me and ask me to sort them or put me in front of some paperwork and ask me to highlight certain things and I'd be all over it. Mundane tasks are entertaining to me. I know editing is not mundane, but I have heard that it is tedious and those two definitions are fine with me. That feeling is how I hope editing video will be. I am really excited to learn and I think it will be challenging, but a lot of fun. Okay, so I appreciate you listening to all of that. And with all that out of the way, let's get started. The Mandela effect also is sometimes known as the false memory phenomenon was coined by paranormal consultant Fiona Broom in 2010. Prior to 2010, something similar known as the false memory phenomenon was investigated by psychological pioneers Pierre Genet and Sigmund Freud, among some others in later years. Sigmund Freud being the big one, obviously. Everyone knows who Freud is. Freud was fascinated with memory and all the ways it could be understood, used, and manipulated. Manipulation of memory is not always a good thing, but hey, he was a smart guy and this was his thing. Pierre Genet was a French neurologist also credited 
with great contributions into memory research. I did not do a lot of additional research on Pierre Genet, but I would like to do that in the future. Just if there's any additions that I could make to this when I do do the YouTube version of this, I can add some things in. So back to Fiona Broom. Fiona Broom experienced the later named Mandela effect after realizing that she and many others were convinced Nelson Mandela had passed away in the 1980s while in a South African prison during apartheid. I do have a memory of hearing that he passed, and this was in the 80s, but I also remember hearing that he had become president of South Africa. All of these in my memory seem like they took place in the 80s. Persecution, prison, exoneration, president, death. Those are what I heard and what I believed to have occurred in a somewhat rapid succession, which is not the case. In fact, Nelson Mandela was released from prison and went on to become the first president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. Shockingly to me and to many others, he did not pass away until December of 2013. That was only eight years ago. That is something that I was not aware of. I knew he had passed, but I did not realize it was so recent. Nelson Mandela was the first black head of state and the first elected in a fully representative democratic election in South Africa, which is pretty amazing. And I love the fact that he was exonerated for crimes that were never committed in the first place. So exoneration may not be the right word to use, but I do love his story. Prior to Nelson Mandela's passing, there were several examples where a mass of the conscious collective remembered something that was either false, changed, or never happened at all. Fiona Broom took notice of this and came to call the phenomenon the Mandela Effect. Some of the early examples are the movie Shazam. There wasn't a movie called Shazam. This one got me also. This centered around comedian Sinbad, who people thought played the role of a genie in a blue costume. I remember this vividly. In 1994, Sinbad wore a genie-like costume during a TV presentation of Sinbad the Sailor movies, which I did not see. The 1996 film Kazam with a K featured a genie played by Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal. And there were also some animated series about a genie in the late 1960s that were called Shazan with a N like Nancy at the end and not an M like Shazam, like we would think of it today. This example to me sounds a lot like something called a confabulation of memories, which I tend to believe that a lot of these Mandela effects are a confabulation of memories. Uh, however, some of them I don't believe that, but confabulation of memories is where social and cognitive reinforcement of incorrect memories become the norm. These happen when things like false news reports, misleading photographs, or drawings and conversation 
influence the formation of memories. And I'm just going to point this out because I think it's funny. I'm Italian. And so even though I'm talking to a computer, I am still moving my hands around like I am having a conversation with 20 people. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop doing that, but it's happening. So basically, everything having to do with genies wearing blue and three different media productions with names that sound incredibly similar became this mishmash over time, causing false memories and mass confusion. Then some time passes, and now a very clear but false narrative is seen as factual. So I believe that to be the case here, the the false memory, not the Mandela effect. The Monopoly Man may also be one of these examples. Take a second and think in your memory, does the Monopoly Man have a monocle or not? I'm going to pause for a second while you think about it. Ladies and gentlemen, he does not have a monocle. I thought he did. I grew up playing Monopoly. We didn't have a lot of money. We played Monopoly all the time. My ex-husband's family was really into Monopoly. It was a huge deal. I actually decorated a whole room of my house with old Monopoly boards. So, I don't know. I I, I could have sworn he had a monocle. Who knows? Uh, that dude's face was everywhere. It, it just... The monocle thing, it looks right on him when you think about it in your mind. And in these side-by-side photos that I was looking at, where one was wrong and one was correct, they do, I mean, the one, the wrong ones look correct to me. But anyway, as I did research this, I thought about the past and how the majority of the public viewed the, quote, rich man in a fancy suit with a top hat and a cane. And of course, he usually had a monocle or a pocket watch, which were similar in how they were attached to the clothing. Monocle also shares the first four letters of its name with the name Monopoly. I came up with that on my own. I don't know if that has anything to do with this, but I just thought that was interesting. So then I'm thinking about, okay, (laughs) why... Why did everyone insert this fictitious, supposedly, monocle into the Monopoly Man? And then all of a sudden I thought about Mr. Peanut from Planters. And I am not the only one who thought this way. He has a top hat and a cane and he does have a monocle. I get that a peanut man and the Monopoly man look nothing alike, but when you think about it, their attire is very similar. It's entirely possible for those who grew up with both jumbled them up in their memory. I do remember a lot of commercials featuring Mr. Peanut, and because I played Monopoly so much when I was a kid, maybe those two things meshed in my mind. Like... I don't know. I lost my train of thought. (laughs) The ones that didn't even grow up with the peanut guy, they still have this Monopoly Man problem. 
So Mr. Peanut and the Monopoly Man basically look the same now as they did then. There's been no changes other than kind of, you know, when you see like or hear the re-enhanced version of something. But the the animation itself of the character usually does not change. I'll use Mickey Mouse as an example for that. He looks wildly different than he did when he was first created. but Basically, all of his features and everything are the same. If you look at a side-by-side photo of Mr. Monopoly with and without a monocle, like I said before, the one without looks super weird and wrong, and I don't like it, but it's apparently the correct one. There's a debate between whether the peanut butter brand Jif was actually called Jiffy. I think Jiffy sounds right in my head. But so does Jif. The difference here is the direct competitor of Jif is Skippy, which sounds a lot like Jiffy. Easy to mix up. Not to mention, I remember the commercials, Choosy Moms Choose Jif. If they had said Choosy Moms Choose Jiffy, that would have been bizarre. That would not have sounded right to me. When I was a kid, we ate Skippy peanut butter. So the FFY part, and the PPY part, which sounds similar, that that kind of stuck in my brain. It's probably why Jiffy sounds correct to me, even though it's not. When I first read this example, I did pause. I had to think about it. I would like to point out, though, that my phone does try to autocorrect to Jiffy, which <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. I started off a little Debbie Downer for the scientific and psychological explanations for this phenomenon. This may be the case in some of these examples, but some of them just cannot be explained the same way. Okay, so now we'll get into arguably two of the most famous examples of the Mandela effect. I didn't want to start off with these because I wanted to kind of bring up the false memory thing so everyone could kind of have that in their brain when we go into these just crazy pants ones that you just cannot explain away. So the most famous examples of the Mandela effect, starting with what I believe to be the most damaging to my childhood psyche and makes me physically uncomfortable, the Bernstein Bears. I am a reader. I naturally speed read. I guess you could call it my autism superpower, although... When people ask me if my kids have autism superpowers, it kind of makes me angry. Not everyone with autism has a superpower like Rain Man. Uh, So I read these Bernstein Bears books when I grew up all the time. These were books we got at the Scholastic Book Fairs, which still go on to this day. I can clearly picture the bears on the covers and even the font of the title of the books. Prior to doing any of this research, this was all clear in my brain. According to reality as we know it now, it is not Bernstein Bears, but actually the Bernstein Bears. I'd just like to point out that again, like with the peanut butter, when I was taking notes on my phone for this, my phone auto-corrected to Bernstein with an E And may I say this will always be the correct way in my brain because I refuse to admit anything different. The family who wrote the books are named Bernstein with an A 
and they say it's always been Bernstein. I'm sorry, but that will never sound right to me, even if it was always true. I will get into theories on this in a bit because I did hear an interesting theory in another podcast about this that was in addition to some research that I did. I will go over the examples and then we can assign theories to each one that seem to have no logical explanation like the confabulation of memories I was talking about a while ago. The other famous example is, of course, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, specifically. The Luke, I am your father. Now, let me tell you why this one irks me to my core. The Empire Strikes Back was released in theaters on May 21st, 1980, right as my parents suddenly split up and got divorced. This is a very vivid time in my memory For context of this story, I am going to point out that my mom took off and left my sister and I with my dad and grandma. I was seven and my sister was two. My sister was too little to really do anything with us, you know, like outings and whatever. So she usually hung out with my grandma and didn't really get what was happening. My dad, who had always worked a lot, and I don't mean that in a bad way, uh, was suddenly a single father. And while dealing with work, the intense grief of losing his wife uh, in the way that it happened. And my dad is also a Vietnam vet. He was at the time and probably still is struggling with some pretty massive PTSD in which no help was given by the military. That was a quick soapbox, sorry. Uh, He had to deal with suddenly having two young daughters who he was their one and only parent. Under the circumstances, Dad, you did a great job, and I love you very much. So in this period of time after my parents split, every weekend and even some weekdays, I have vivid memories confirmed by my dad where he would ask me, what do you want to do tonight? And my answer was always, I want to go see The Empire Strikes Back. I loved it. I had all of the stuff. God, I wish I had it now. It'd be worth a fortune. I had the Millennium Falcon toy, all the toys. I mean, all of them. I, I loved them. So that's what we did. I saw that movie probably 30 times before it ever even left the theater. If someone had said to me, gun to your head, what did Darth Vader say to Luke Skywalker? My answer would have been, Luke, I am your father. Nope. And just like that, your childhood is a lie. So I'm looking, I have 15 seconds to say this. Heads up, you can record for 30 minutes in your web browser. If you'd like to record for longer, you can use any app on your computer and then upload the file. So, super. Okay, so I didn't originally want to edit this app, or this app, this podcast. But I'm going to leave that last part in there. Where all of a sudden you're recording right now and then the time shows up and then all of a sudden it turns red and says, Hey, you can only record for 30 minutes on your computer. Apparently, I just looked it up. It's 120 minutes 
recording time in the Anchor mobile app. So they really do want you to use your phone. I mean, I get that. They're trying to make it as easy as possible. And then they say when recording on the web, on their app, I assume the maximum amount of recording time is 30 minutes because on Google Chrome, which is what I'm on, and it's five minutes on Safari, but you can record multiple segments and add them in your episode builder to create your episodes. So that's what I'm going to try to do. And I swear, if I have to do this podcast again after everything that I have tried to do to get this going, that's going to piss me off, but whatever, I'm going to try it anyway. So where were we? We were talking about Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. I'm going to kind of go back a paragraph or so, so I don't get lost or skip over something. Again, my dad would ask me almost every night, what do you want to do tonight? My answer was always, I want to go see The Empire Strikes Back. So that's what we did. I saw this movie probably 30 times before it ever left the theater. It was burned into my brain. If someone had said to me, gun to your head, what did Darth Vader say to Luke Skywalker? My answer would have been, Luke, I am your father. And like I said before, nope, that's not it. And your childhood is a lie. Apparently, after Luke screams, you killed my father, Daddy Dearest Darth replies, no, I am your father. And I don't, I mean, I think I have that movie on DVD. And I should have looked and, and you know, at the scene, but I didn't. But I'm going to assume that everyone's outrage is correct. So he does not say Luke. He says no. I get it. That dialogue makes sense when you listen to it in context. But so does the other one. I always add in a name to drive a point home. My kids are autistic. I often have to start every single sentence with their names or they don't hear a thing that comes out of my mouth. Apparently not Daddy Darth. He can just say no. I have heard and read the word no so much in regards to this. I feel like Darth Vader should have taught dare classes in his spare time. It's just ridiculous. Now, I don't remember a ton about my childhood, but the memories I do have are fairly clear because they were significant. Here's where I take issue with the past. I have been told I was wrong repeatedly when I have recalled vivid memories out loud to people who were also there. I mean, I'm talking wrong multiple times about significant things and wrong by leaps and bounds. This is not something as simple as that car was green, not blue, but things like that new car wasn't a surprise for grandma from the local dealership. We actually got that car on Mars, you know, and then they would just stare at me while I stood there dumbfounded. This is not an example of the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect has to be a large number of people. However, if like that specific occurrence, the Mars car versus the local dealer, if that had occurred in front of thousands of people and then I was the only one that remembered it 
differently or some people remembered it some way and some people remembered it the other, then it would be the Mandela effect. So it is conceivable. And I was going to go into this later, but I'm going to say it now. It is conceivable that the Mandela effect is, you know, and then somebody tells you you're wrong. It's made me question over time if any of my childhood memories are accurate, except for the really bad ones, which I vividly remember over all, unfortunately. I know the Star Wars thing as far as how much we saw this movie is accurate because my dad and I have talked about it multiple times over the years. I just want to point out, though, if you misremember something, again, you can't immediately call it the Mandela effect. It has to be a large number of people with the same memory or recollection of events. And I get it. It's been hammered into the definition of this effect that it doesn't count if it's just the memories of a few people. But again, it could be all the same thing, but they're just able to label this one thing because they don't have enough examples of the other. It doesn't mean history didn't change somewhere along the way. It just means it can't technically be classified as the Mandela effect. So my dad sold cars my entire childhood and most of my adult life. I remember things when it comes to cars. I won't go into details, but what this boils down to was apparently I was wrong about my early teenage memory of a major car purchase and its delivery to its new owner, which I witnessed and recalled as an enormous surprise. It's just one of those things where I guess I'll never really know what happened. And that's unfortunate because it was a very nice gesture and I did really think it was a cool memory. But now I'm never going to know. So here are some other examples of the Mandela effect. When I get the YouTube video up, I'll edit in some side-by-side -side photos so you can see for yourself. Because honestly, sometimes memory comes down to visual recollection rather than being able to picture it in your mind. The first one I'm going to talk about, is it Flintstones or Flintstones? With or without the T in the middle? Flintstones with the T is the common sense answer because every flippin' thing on that show was named after rocks. And <laughs> caveman, they used flint, thus flint with a T, and you would be correct. When you look at it, though, or at least in my case, the correct spelling looks straight up bizarre. I watched that show religiously growing up. I even think that my dad acts like Fred Flintstone. He reminds me of him. I grew up on Saturday morning cartoons. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. I even watched Flintstones as an adult when it started airing on Cartoon Network and then eventually became Boomerang. I never noticed how weird it looked when the word in all its animation glory is right there in your face without the t doesn't make sense but it's the one that looks correct to me and my eyes and the thing about that is that a cartoon is something you're watching it's not something you're reading so you're seeing that word you're seeing the flintstones you're seeing that word and that famous you know logo or whatever of Flintstones plastered across the screen at the beginning of every opening sequence. 
And that's what looks correct to my eyes is without the T, which, yes, doesn't make sense as far as rocks are concerned. But at the same time, with the T, it just looks weird to me. I I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that one anymore because it's irritating. So there is a debate about Looney Tunes. So Tunes being T-O-O-N-S versus Looney Tunes, T-U-N-E-S. So the way I remember it and the way it looks correct to me on the screen is Looney Tunes as in songs or melodies. So T-U-N-E-S, not tunes as in cartoons, T-O-O-N-S. But how weird is that? They're cartoons, not members of a band. Tunes as in cartoons makes the most sense. And by tunes, I mean T-O-O-N-S. They aren't musician roadrunners and bunny rabbits. They're just crazy asses who run around dropping anvils on each other and, you know, ignoring the laws of physics and not realizing that you're going to fall hundreds of feet until you actually look down and see there's no ground underneath. So apparently I do remember this correctly and I use the word correctly in quotes because it is just weird. I am in the minority here. Most people remember the tune with the double O and that does make sense, but it is T-U-N-E-S. I didn't even look this up because I didn't want to get mad because I swear if there is ever anything that screws with Scooby-Doo or says that something about Scooby is different than I remember, you just best keep it to yourself because my brain cannot handle that. I didn't. I didn't research it at all. I won't do it. Ignorance is bliss. Scooby-Doo is Scooby-Doo. Every way I remember it, it was and still is my favorite cartoon of all time. I will still watch it today as if I was a child and be just as happy watching it. And because my memory is so bad, sometimes I don't even remember who the bad guy is, which is pretty hilarious considering how many times I've seen it. So another one is Fruit Loops, where you're talking F-R-U-I-T or F-R-O-O-T, as in, you know, the word fruit. I always remembered it as fruit spelled the correct way. But there is a debate about this, and I did get the answer as to why. This one actually has an answer, and that was really cool for me to see. Both of these are correct at different points in time, not because of parallel universes or Mandela, well, not Mandela effect, but it's not because of anything out of the ordinary. The way it is spelled today is F-R-O-O-T, and no, that does not make sense, but here is what happened. According to snackhistory.com, which is actually a pretty cool website, so if y'all ever bored, check it out. It has always been called Fruit Loops. That has not changed. However, when Fruit Loops, O-O-T, was first released in 1959, the word fruit was spelled correctly. Six months after the release of Fruit Loops, a lawsuit was filed called Paxton versus Kellogg's. The lawsuit claimed that the word fruit, spelled correctly in the name, implied that it was a fruit-based snack and that it was misleading 
because, you know, everyone was so concerned with our health and false advertising in the late 50s. I, I just find this lawsuit completely out of space and time. It, it, it doesn't, I just don't get it. I feel like these Paxton people were just looking for something to go after because nobody cared about any of that in the late 50s. I mean, I wasn't around then, but come on. I mean, they had, they were encouraging smoking for crying out loud. They, who cares about fruit-based snack <laughs> and the way the word fruit is spelled? If you spell something berry and it doesn't have actual berries in it, it's berry flavored. So maybe they should have called it fruit flavored loops. I, I don't know. Anyway, they settled out of court and Kellogg's changed the name to fruit loops with the double O and re-released the cereal in 1963. Here's my question about that, though. Did it go off the market for three years while they were making the change, or did it carry on with a grace period until the change in 1963? If it went off the market right away, that means it had only been in production, spelled correctly, for six months. Six months with the word fruit spelled correctly. Think about that. If it was three years, I totally see where this Mandela effect came from. It seems pretty obvious. That is a lot of time for people to form memories of the original spelling. Even a change after six months, I can see how the memory of our poor, correctly spelled Fruit Loops would be passed down. But that still doesn't mean I think it looks right when I see it spelled F-R-O-O-T on the box. I love cereal. I grew up eating that specific cereal and Fruity Pebbles, ironically, after we just got done talking about the whole Flintstones thing. It just doesn't look right, the side-by-side. -side. It, it doesn't look right. The Flintstones, the Fruit Loops, all the cereals, they're just they're messed up. Who knows? Okay, so here are some more examples, but these cannot be be easily explained away and are shorter than my Fruit Loops tangent. So thank you for all bearing with me. So Curious George, did he have a tail or not? Pause while you think about it. <laughs> I was positive he had a tail. Wrong. He is Monkey Sans Tail. He's a monkey. He should, I mean... In your brain, monkeys have tails, whatever. I guess he didn't have a tail. Maybe so he could wear clothes. I, I don't know. The next one is sex and the city or sex in the city. Now, I did not watch this show, so I will leave my opinion out of it other than to say the correct show title is Sex and the City, not Sex in. That's what she said bad office joke but my favorite one of my favorite shows they both sound right to me but again i didn't watch the show so febreze is it two e's or one apparently it's just one i couldn't honestly remember what i thought was correct even though i have a few bottles of febreze around my house that one also looks weird with the side-by-side -side photo of the different spellings. The incorrect one looks correct to me, but clearly it's not. Um, Oscar Meyer or Oscar Meyer. And we're talking M-E-Y-E-R or M-A-Y-E-R. 
So I have a personal connection to this, not because I know any of the Oscar Meyer people, but because of a family name spelled one of those two ways. And that's what pisses me off about it. I swear it was Meyer with an E, but it's not. It's Meyer with an A, like John Mayer, but it's pronounced differently. As I was typing out my notes for this, I seem to recall there being a jingle or song, and I remember the A in the name, but I remember the E in my visual memory. And so, I mean, like, what do you rely on? If you don't know the right answer, what do you rely on as your, like, what sense do you trust more in your own brain? Apparently it's M-A-Y-E-R, which sounds right in the song, but again, it looks wrong in the pictures. So Skechers versus Skechers, with or without a T. I was sure there was a T. I was wrong again. And I'm just going to say again, when you look at them side by side in logo form, it's hard to tell. But when I type it, Skechers without a T just looks plain stupid, but it's correct. There's apparently, this one's kind of funny, actually. There's apparently a portrait of King Henry VIII where people thought he was holding a turkey leg in his right hand. And I get it. Turkey legs were a big thing back then. There were Renaissance festivals and stuff. But who the hell paints a painting of a king holding a turkey leg in his hand? I had never heard of this one. But just in case you're on the edge of your seat about it, he was probably hangry having his portrait done because he does not have a turkey leg in his hand. He's holding something that looks like a cross between a croissant and a mummified penis, if I'm going to be totally honest, with his arm down and slightly bent. His other hand is holding what is clearly a dagger, which is what you would expect a king to be holding, a dagger or a sword. I don't know why they felt even the need to put something in his other hand. So this weird turkey leg portrait, I just looked at it and he would have had to dislocate his elbow to bend his arm in that way. And yes, in that portrait, it looks like a turkey leg. But like I said, it also looks like his arm is dislocated. So I'm guessing the one with the penis croissant is the correct one. Whoever painted the other one, I don't know if they did it because of the argument that was occurring if they felt like they needed to repaint this portrait the way that they remembered it but it looks bizarre so i mean if you're gonna paint the the turkey like at least paint his arm in anatomically correct fashion as far as the way our joints work and stuff I don't know. In all fairness, though, I can see how people maybe would have just assumed he had some sort of food in his hand because in his later life, he became severely overweight and his health suffered greatly from it. The next example is Pikachu's tail. And this is old school Pikachu we're talking about, not the newer version. I know very little about Pikachu, but apparently many remember the end of his tail being black, which I've got to say, it looked right to me. I mean, I don't know anything about him, but I've always known who he was when I saw him. In case you're still wondering, his tail is all yellow. There is no black tip. That seems weird to me. Again, I don't know anything about Pikachu, but I remember seeing his picture everywhere, and I, I would swear he had a black tip on his tail, but I guess not. 
So Kit Kat with or without the dash in between. I remember it without the dash and it also looks correct to me in the side-by-side -side comparison. And I am right here. So there is no Mandela effect here as far as it applies to me. I don't know about any of you. So this one, this one is, is pretty crazy. Fruit of the Loom. And no, this is not a spelling debate like the cereal. The debate here is whether there was a cornucopia with the fruit coming out of it. I remember the cornucopia vividly. It looks 100% correct to me when I look at it in a picture, in the side-by-sides, everything. Wrong. No cornucopia. Just a bunch of fruit laying out there in the wide open. Here's where Fruit of the Loom gets interesting, though, and makes this specific example pretty interesting. There is a Reddit user named GrowMath who apparently found articles of Fruit of the Loom, quote, residual memory that exists online before all these Mandela effect shenanigans began. This made me think that if the internet had existed a long time ago at its current capacity and capabilities, we maybe could have done research to prove or disprove these things that are happening now. If there were things like Amazon, Google, Reddit, or whatever in the past, we could be storming their respective server rooms and demand they show us the proof that we're right or that we're entirely crazy. Either answer would be fine because it would be a concrete answer. Remember, people, once something goes on the internet, it is there forever. I would like to see what the Reddit user GrowMath found, but I haven't been able to find it. But I have seen two different examples during my research where people have specifically mentioned this Reddit user and having found something. Uh, when I did start typing it into Google, it auto-populated pretty quickly the rest of what my long sentence was going to be. I did notice, though, that the Fruit of the Loom people get inundated with questions about this. I'd just like to say I do not miss working in any form of customer service. The thing about the internet being able to prove or disprove some of these discrepancies is in a gray area when the internet was in its infancy. It's like, I don't know a better term than a Stranger Things reference, but it's like an in-between. The proof might be there, but it's going to be very hard to find, if not impossible. Another example, although I don't think this is as Mandela effect as it is a testament to our education system, people think that everyone pictured on U.S. currency was president. Now, I think we all know by now that Benjamin Franklin was not president. This is the mistake that happens the most often, and people use it as a joke all the time in movies and TV when they're trying to make someone look uneducated or stupid. It's why I can't stand the title of the movie Dead Presidents. Let me just say, I've never seen the movie, so I can't say whether or not it's a good movie, but I know the premise so I guess they should have passed on the $20 bills with Ben and the $100 bills with Alexander Hamilton because those guys are not dead presidents. Alexander Hamilton worked very closely with George Washington but was never president. And obviously Benjamin Franklin 
invented bifocals and stuff and was a founding father, but never president. So here we go in dead presidents. In our robbery, we demand the cash of only dead presidents. So we will accept ones, fives, tens, and fifties. Oh, and coins if you got them, but you know, only dead presidents. So then there's this next movie all about the Benjamins that got my attention because of its name. But I will give this one a pass since Benjamins is an expression used to mean money. And that movie was referring to money in general and not cash. So, yes, I am that petty about the accuracy of this. Sorry. In fact, if I am accurate in anything I said, if I am inaccurate in anything I said here, please let me know. I, as a general rule, will not write or say anything unless I know it's true. I'm perfectly happy saying I don't know if I know something or if I don't know something. I'd rather shut up than be completely wrong. So I think that was like tangent number three or four. Here are some more examples. Uh, cheese it or cheese its with a Z. There is no Z at the end. I think I know that when I see the box, it is correct. But when I say the name, I've always added an S sound because there is more than one cracker in that box. It just sounds right to make it plural. But I think that's just grammar. There is not a singular cheese cracker in a large box. This one annoyed me. Double stuff Oreo versus double stuff Oreo. 1F or 2 at the end of stuff. So again, like Fruit of the Loom or the Star Wars thing, I would have sworn on my life it was stuff with two Fs, but apparently not. When I was looking at the side-by-side, -side, I couldn't even tell the difference at first. The packages look identical to me. I just don't see what the point was to leave off that second S um, or F. So you don't need to be trendy with your cookie name when you're adding all that wonderful extra cream inside. A lot of people don't like double stuff, but I do. I just don't get it. I don't like regular Oreos, though. You know, come at me. I don't care. I'll take it. I like the vanilla ones. Uh, the next example, Mona Lisa's smile. And no, I do not mean the movie. Some people say she used to have a more obvious smile. I don't know either way, but you know, some people like me also thought that painting was full size. So I'm learning a lot about editing today. So just now you have heard me be cut off mid-sentence trying to make a smart-ass comment about how at one point I thought the Mona Lisa was a full-size painting when in fact it's actually the size of a magazine. I didn't realize I'd been cut off and I was about to go into another example of a Star Wars Mandela effect as it pertains to C-3PO. I realized I'd been cut off, so I stopped talking. And then I went back to listen, found out where I'd been cut off, and decided to do this recording. This recording now I have done twice because when I did it the first time, my phone rang two times. And I... I had to redo it. So I'm not going to leave the sound of a ringing phone in here. I feel like you all could sit and listen to me over explain everything all day long with less stress than hearing my stupid phone ring in the middle 
of recording a podcast. So we will go on with the show now. <laughs> so I knew it. I got another phone call. This is why I try to do this at night. I work a graveyard shift. I stay awake while my kids are sleeping so I can get this done. But I thought, you know, I'm awake during the day today. My kids aren't out of school for another couple hours. I'm going to do this. My phone never rings. It's rang three times during this. So lesson learned. I will do it at night now. So I'm going to go back to the beginning of this. This the Star Wars thing, the other Star Wars thing about C3PO. You know, everyone you, you think of C3PO, you think of him as an entirely gold being, robot, whatever he is. He is silver from his right knee down, and I just don't there are really no words that I can come up with to explain how bizarre that is to me. It's it's just bizarre. I, I don't even know what to say. I don't believe it. That that Mandela effect, that is otherworldly. I'm just gonna say it right now. There is no reason. Like who even does the designer of C3PO, why would you even do something like that? Why would you make an entirely gold character and then just change one color of part of his leg? That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I get it when characters maybe have different color eyes because that looks cool. Like, like when, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So apparently chartreuse is not a magenta pink color. I had not heard this debate until now, but I was sure it was a magenta pinkish color. And I'm wrong. <laughs> I know all computer monitors are different, but according to mine, it's the color of the felt on a pool table, not pinkish magenta. That one I, I don't get. Uh, another one. Yeeting the computer out the window for this because this is one of my favorite movies. Um, Forrest Gump, my friends. L again, one of my favorite movies for many reasons, but mostly because I am an autism mom. I do have autism, and I can say with a high degree of certainty that Forrest Gump is on the spectrum. Anyway, apparently, life is not like a box of chocolates. It was like a box of chocolates. Yes, past tense. You never know what you're going to get, right? That makes logical sense as a sentence. No. I mean, I just... Instead of life is like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. They're saying it's life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Okay, so first of all, as a grammar phobe, the tenses are wrong. They just are. The last half of that sentence implies the present and future. The first half implies the past. The sentence is wrong. It's just wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. If this is truly the way it's said, then the writers of Forrest Gump need to go back to the third grade. I will never again be able to look at that famous photo of him sitting on that bus bench without thinking about this or that or tomorrow. Whatever tense you want to use, just throw it in there. Thanks, Lieutenant Dan. 
so Snow White, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the most delusional of us all? Well, it's all of us who grew up with the original Snow White that I know and I watched about a million times. I grew up around Disneyland. That's Snow White's castle. So, you know, I'm a big Snow White fan. Apparently, it's magic mirror on the wall. I have never, ever, 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 ever heard it worded that way, ever. It is not magic mirror. I refuse to believe it. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, and honestly, to be, <laughs> be completely honest, the more of these I talk about, the more I'm sure you can sense the change in my tone of voice. Even with the breaks, with the phone calls, I... Imagine, if you will, me doing research on this and yelling at my computer as this stuff got more and more annoying. Like, when I was doing this research, my kids were trying to sleep, and I have white noise machines in there and stuff, but, man, I was yelling. And, like, yelling at my computer, like, this is wrong. Like, thanks, Mandela Effect, for raising my blood pressure. I read all the books, so don't... I read. I read all these books this is the next example so don't rip me a new one because again i did read the books but i cannot stay awake during the lord of the rings movies i've tried i don't know what my problem is so i don't know really what to say about this one other than just giving the example Apparently, Gandalf does not say run, you fools, like most people think. He supposedly says fly, you fools. I guess according to the universe, if you thought he said run, then you were all fools, just like Gandalf said. Okay, so this one literally made me laugh. It is so ridiculous. Apparently, I think I've used <laughs> that word a hundred times already in this podcast, Apparently, Hannibal Lecter never says, hello, Clarice. <laughs> guess what he says? Just guess. I'll give you a second. Just, you're never going to guess it. He says, good morning. Yeah. Okay. The brain-eating psychopath and liver-eating psychopath, because he ate both, never said the line he is most famous for. Again, he is most famous for this line. And according to people, everyone, I don't know. Apparently, he never said it. Again, whatever. I don't have the movie on DVD. And I didn't look what streaming service it's on. And I didn't want to look it up because I just didn't want to get mad. So but that's a Mandela effect, I guess. So this next one is tricky because he does do it one time at the end of the famous Wembley Stadium performance. But apparently, apparently, that should have probably been the name of this podcast. But uh, again, this is just one episode. Hopefully I'm not stuck on that word for the remainder of these episodes. Apparently, Freddie Mercury never sings, quote, of the world at the end of We Are the Champions, which means we've all only ever heard the recording of that one live performance, and that is what is burned into our brains. And that is just my theory. But I don't recall ever hearing the live performance. The thing that I hear in my brain and that I've heard on the radio 
forever did not sound like a live performance to me. But the of the world, I can hear his voice saying it in my head. Music is such a humongous part of memory. It is. It triggers good, bad memories, emotions, feelings. Memory has an enormous effect on my emotions, especially from when I worked on an ambulance. Uh, it, it's just the of the world part to say that that was not part of the song until that Wembley stadium appearance. That's just, that doesn't, it's just not, it's not right. It's not. Anyway, my brain fills it in like a Google search. I don't know. So the next one is Mr. Rogers, the original, not the Tom Hanks version. I have not seen that one yet. I do want to see it. It's the song we're talking about is It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood or It's a Beautiful Day in This Neighborhood. The debate is people remember it as being the neighborhood instead of this neighborhood. I, on the other hand, remember it as it, It's a Beautiful Day in This Neighborhood. My childhood TV watching experience consisted of, consisted of Saturday morning cartoons, Sesame Street, The Muppet Show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and obviously Scooby-Doo, Flintstones, all those. Um, I'm glad at least that wasn't ruined for me, although I can't say the same about the rest of you, so sorry. Um, this one was weird to me. I, because it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, and I'll explain why here in a second. So some people say that they were taught that there are 51 or 52 states and not 50. Well, people who heard this, <laughs> your teachers sucked. I have never heard of that before. I was born in D.C., capital of the USA, but alas, I know it is not a state. That's always fun when I'm filling out forms, but I digress. Uh, Puerto Rico, Guam, U.S. Virgin Islands, American Samoa, and the Northern Mariana Islands. All U.S. territories, but not states. We all know that. Well, most of us know that. So look, I get it if people are confused, maybe in elementary school, because they haven't learned the difference between states and territories yet. Especially because so many countries use those terms differently. But where did the number 51 or 52 come from? For anyone who was taught this, I would love to know what the other 51 and 52 are. I could see if it was taught as 51, the mistake being Washington, D.C. I can, I can see it happening. Not that it still doesn't make me angry at the education system, but I can see it happening. But 52, that makes no sense at all. I don't understand that even a little bit. Where is the 52nd state? If you were hypothetically counting territories and D.C. as states, then it would be around 55 or 56. What is number 52? I, that, does, that makes no sense. 51, I guess I can understand stupidity, but still. 55 or 56, if they were saying that, I can understand that. If your teacher had all these names of places in front of them and just started counting and didn't know the difference between states and territories, 
that is so specific. 52. It's so specific, but so confusing. Confusion. Thy name is America. Okay, so we all remember Smokey the Bear, right? He's Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent forest fires. Smokey the Bear rolls off your tongue. Well, your tongue is wrong. He is just Smokey Bear. All that makes me do is think of some bear on a cabin porch in the woods smoking a cigarette in a rocking chair. I have never heard it that way before. He is Smokey the Bear, and that is what I am sticking to. Only you can prevent forest fires and stupidity. So Leonardo DiCaprio's first Oscar was in 2016, but people remember him winning earlier than that. I remember he was nominated for Titanic, and I thought he won, but maybe not. The most I remember about that time was that Kate Winslet got the shaft because she wasn't nominated for anything. So there was this big drama about why was he nominated and she wasn't. So maybe that's where people are getting that from, but I really don't know. A Barbie world or the Barbie world. I didn't know. According to the lyrics, it's the Barbie world. But a lot of research I did, the debate was over whether it was my Barbie world or a Barbie world. Most of the time, they weren't even arguing over answers where I neither one was correct. So the words the wasn't in a lot of the stuff I read. So everyone is debating something where the answer is an entirely different word. That is an argument that will never end, like this song that is now stuck in my head. Uh, another one, Neil Armstrong died in 2012. A lot of people apparently thought he died way earlier. But as for myself, I don't remember hearing he died earlier. I do know he died in 2012. Uh, Billy Graham, the TV evangelist, died in 2018. Again, like Neil Armstrong, people thought he died a long time ago. I knew his name, but nothing else of him. So again, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Mother Teresa's canonization, I do remember a little bit about this as far as it being a little bit jumbled up in my head. Many people remember her entering sainthood in the 1990s while she was still alive rather than when it actually happened in 2016. I remember the discussion about sainthood and it occurred after she died. I do vividly remember that. But I thought it happened. I thought the actual sainthood was given to her way before 2016. So that 2016 date that seems weird to me. That is so recent. Uh, that that's that one kind of threw me a little bit. These next examples are a little more dark, but are popular examples of the Mandela effect. And this one, if you don't know about this, you need to go back to school. So, Tank Man. In 1989, in Tiananmen Square, China, there were large protests that gained worldwide attention. This Mandela Effect example obviously revolves around the man that was holding the things that looked like tote bags or grocery bags in his hands that stood like a badass all by himself in front of a long line of military tanks. Some people remember him being run over and killed by a tank. I don't, whether that happened or not, 
nobody's showing that on the news. I'm sorry, even back then. I vividly remember watching most of this conflict play out on the news because I was in high school at the time and the teachers were all over it. I mean, it was a teaching opportunity about multiple subjects. Granted, I was just a teenager, so maybe I didn't see the ending, but I vividly remember the videos that I saw. So here is what I saw. He was standing there in front of the first tank in a long line of tanks. This tank tries to move and turn to go around him. Tank man steps. He does a sidestep in front of it as it's trying to go around. The tank stops. It tries to turn the other way. Tank man steps in front of it again. It stops again. This goes on a couple times. Then this dude climbs onto the tank and starts banging on the top. Then he gets down off the side on what I guess would be the driver's side of a vehicle, an American vehicle. He gets down off the side onto one of the tracks. Is I don't know if that's what the, the wheels of a tank are called. I don't want to sound stupid, but I can't think of the word right now. Tracks, I believe they're called. Uh, the second he hits the ground, the tank just guns it. You can tell it's just like, all right, he's on the side. Just take off before he runs in front again. You can see the exhaust coming out of that thing big time. Um, he's jumped off the side, so they are really just trying to get past him. He jumps in front of it again and starts waving his bags and his hands. Some of the guys in the tank actually pop up out of the top, and they clearly are all exchanging words while Tank Man gestures towards the bystanders. It would have been amazing to know what they were saying, but I don't know if anyone has ever found that out but here's where it ends for me and my memory i don't remember what happened after that according to the video i watched recently just to refresh my memory i'll post the link it's pretty intense as the men in the tank and tank man are yelling at one another a woman on a bicycle rides out towards him and tries to get him to go with her he does not seem like he is willing to go that's when others finally run in and usher the man out of harm's way. Not to say the tanks didn't just chase them all down, but the memory discrepancy is that the man alone was run over. When they took him out of there, it was at least four people in addition to him. While I don't remember any of this part, I also don't remember him being run over either or any news reports to that effect. For those who do remember him being run over, I'm sorry you had to see or hear about that. Um, again, I worked on an ambulance for 10 years. You don't really forget stuff like that. Especially, I imagine, a tank running over someone. I can't say I've ever seen anything like that. I was unfortunate enough to see the video of the Israeli fighter pilot who was burned alive by ISIS in around 2015 or 2016. I do regret watching that. I've seen a lot of things in my life, so I thought I could handle it. Plus, at the time, I didn't realize the video was real. Even though it was posted on the website of a major news network, I just assumed, okay, this is a BS video. It's going to be propaganda. Um, but we had all 
found out what happened to this man because ISIS had announced it and released a video. But again, when I went to watch the video on the actual news website, I didn't go into it believing it was going to be the real video. You just assume that that would never be allowed. Uh, it was 100% real and 100% horrible. And it was taken down soon after it was announced on the news that they had put it on their site. I don't think they meant to do it. I think somebody put it on there. And then everyone in, in the news area was like, get that off there now. Uh, there was another video on there too that I shouldn't have watched. I didn't know what I thought I would see or if any of it was real, but it was uh, burned into your brain. Um, again, if Take Man was run over, it was never shown on any news I ever watched. I feel like I would have remembered that for sure. This one stumped me because I remember that whole series of events so vividly in modern day they've pretty much only shown still photos of this event videos of it are scarce um but again i i was able to find a youtube link and i'll put that wherever i can uh i'll be more specific about it later but uh, you'll have to check out the link it might jog somebody's memory of what happened after and maybe we'll get somebody you know with who who did experience the mandela effect where they do remember him being run over i don't know so this next one is this space shuttle challenger disaster which occurred January 28th, 1986. Uh, many people think it happened in either 1984 or 1985. That's where the Mandela effect comes in here. I am going to say that in a very loose way that I am the expert on this, and here's why. My mother's birthday is January 28th. I was in drafting class in seventh grade when the Challenger exploded. One of the teachers at my school had applied for this program and made it very high up on the list. I believe in the top 10. He had made it high up on the list to be the teacher on that flight. So we were all very aware of when the shuttle launch was happening. As a general rule, we were always aware of the space shuttle where I grew up anyway. Uh, I did not grow up in Florida where the space shuttles launch i grew up in california one hour from where the air force base is that the space shuttles land so <clears throat> excuse me we were always made more aware than others of the day a shuttle was going to land in school and on the news around my area of california because we were in its flight path when it would re-enter the atmosphere. So if any of you have ever, ever been around this, you're going to know what I'm talking about. You know when you're in the flight path of anything traveling faster than the speed of sound because of the sonic boom. That noise is so loud, you would think the world is going to end I have heard sonic booms from watching the Blue Angels air show and any time a fighter plane flew over a football game because you would hear the insanely loud sound of the flyby after the plane has silently flown overhead. 
this was a straight up boom. I mean, there is nothing like a space shuttle sonic boom. I, I imagine it's what a bomb dropping would sound like. They always told us on a day a shuttle was landing so we would know what to expect um, or not know what to expect, but know to expect that sound at some point so we all wouldn't be like, what the hell is happening? Um, the Challenger sadly exploded in 1986. There was no Mandela effect for me on this one. Uh, the next example, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. The, the Mandela effect for me on this is different than what actually happened and what other people falsely remember. What actually happened is that the baby was sadly killed but was found, as was the killer. I always remembered it as the baby was killed and later found, but that the killer was never caught. I thought it was a cold case as far as the killer was concerned. I always, uh, I always remembered it this way. I, I wasn't that old then, but that's the way I remember it. Uh, the most, the most widely known Mandela effect for this was that neither the baby or killer were ever found, which is weird. Uh, some people. Remember Patrick Swayze recovering from pancreatic cancer? I don't remember that at all. I remember he fought hard, but always knew that is why he passed. So those are the major examples that I've gathered. Before I go into various theories on the Mandela effect, I thought I would end the list on a happy note again. And what better place than the happiest place on earth? There are some memory discrepancies about the location of the castle in Disney World. We we're talking about Disney World, not Disneyland. Apparently, some people remember it being at the entrance of the park. Like, basically, you buy your tickets and you walk through the castle and then you're in Disney World. Not, no way. <laughs> Although, the word entrance can be taken in many different ways. They're talking about, like, literally the castle is the entrance to the park. So here's a quick disclaimer to this. I already mentioned I grew up in California. Not where I spent my adulthood, but I did grow up there. In the 80s, a season pass to Disneyland in California was $30 if you were a California resident. So basically everything I knew about and know to this day about the Disney parks is burned into my brain as Disneyland. I am not a good person to ask or research this one as it pertains to Disney World. Uh, we lived 90 minutes away from Disneyland, and I've been to Disneyland well over 100 times. That is not an exaggeration. Plus, it's been a long time since I've been to Disneyland, and it makes me very sad, and it is, it is literally my favorite place on the planet. To be honest, I didn't even want to research it, because um, due to my life circumstances, it's unlikely I'll ever be able to visit again, but... Um, I am interested in knowing whether it really is a Mandela effect as far as Disney World is concerned. I have been to Disney World one time for one day. I went for the wedding of one of my oldest and best friends who married her husband in the Italy portion of Epcot. It was incredible. We did go into the park while we were all there. However, we did not enter through the main entrance, but that doesn't matter because that's not where the castle is. 
Uh, it was part of the wedding festivities that we all went on rides together after the ceremony. It was such an amazing experience. It's also where I fell in love with the Tower of Terror ride, which once I put up my YouTube videos, you will see my shrine to it in the background. Um, quick sidebar for those of you who don't know, they had a Tower of Terror ride in Florida and in California. The very first time I went on that ride was in Florida. Uh, I did fall in love with it 100%. Amazing ride. It was based around the Twilight Zone. Super cool. Um, the Florida one was cool because it was uh, random. The drops and stuff was random. The one in California, you ride it enough times, you know when it's going to happen to... The pattern was the same. It was predictable. However, it didn't make the ride any less fun. I mean, it was fun regardless. Uh, they did revamp the theme of the one in California, which is a shame for my sense of nostalgia. But the ride itself is apparently still the same, which is good. Uh, my shrine is to the original style California one, which I visited and went on many, many, many times. So back to the main topic. I can't tell you anything about the main park at Disney World because I just don't remember. But my friend sure can because she is the Disney World to my Disneyland. Outside of her wedding, she has been there a million times all throughout her life with her family. So I reached out to her and this is what she said about the location of the castle. She said the first time she went to Disney World was when she was eight, although her first experience with Disney was when she was six, and that was when she went to Disneyland. I kind of alluded to my age range a few times, and she is a little younger than me. So without saying how old she is, let's just say she's been going there for a very long time. She doesn't ever remember the castle being at the entrance and thought it was pretty funny that anyone would think that it ever was at the entrance. We were laughing about how it wouldn't even make sense logistically and from an engineering standpoint. So even if in some alternate universe it was true, I think the designer of the castle would have done an incredibly poor job and the designer of the park layout in general. Can you imagine trying to shove hundreds of people at a time through an entrance that is designed to emulate the openings to medieval castles where they lowered drawbridges so a horse and carriage could come through? I mean, this entrance to Cinderella's castle may be a little bit larger than medieval castles. I'm not entirely sure. But it's definitely not big enough to accommodate something like that. In Disneyland and Disney World, they used something called forced perspective. So although it appears taller, Cinderella's castle is only 189 feet tall. When it was constructed, there was a law in effect that any structure over 190 feet tall is required to have a red flashing aircraft beacon on the top. The law today is 200 feet, but in 1971, when the castle was constructed, the law was 190. So instead of the not-so-magical red light on top, they decided to use 
forced perspective to make the castle appear larger. The way forced perspective works is it uses optical illusions to make objects appear closer, farther, smaller, or larger than they actually are. So Cinderella's castle, the first floor of the castle is built to scale. The second floor is a bit smaller. It has windows and blocks that are five-eighths the size of the ones on the first floor, and the top spire of the castle is about half the size that it actually appears to be. So basically, they're tricking your eye into seeing the upper levels as larger than they are in Disneyland. That castle is only 77 feet tall, which I find bizarre. It's That is so short. <laughs> it's and it looks so much taller. Cinderella's castle is 112 feet taller than Snow White's castle, but they both look gigantic. Cinderella's castle used to be the tallest structure in Disney World, but has since been trumped by Expedition Everest that is 199.5 feet tall, just shy of the 200-foot red light law, and right behind the Everest expedition is... The Tower of Terror, which is 199 feet tall. So for force perspective, they used specific dimensions in the design to trick the eye, but also in the landscape around it, which is where the Mandela effect part comes in for me. They can't, it isn't just a point of like putting the castle was here and now it's here. The entire park was designed around making this castle look as big as possible. So either in some sort of alternate universe, the entire Disney park is different or it's a false memory thing, which it has to be. I mean, that is such a a large thing to me. I mean, I get it. There's a lot of things here that are large, but the engineering and design that goes into this park, it just seems so bizarre to me that there would be a totally alternate Disney park so basically how they did the force perspective in the disney parks is when other than the construction of the actual building when you're walking down main street or any of the lands in either disney park and you're walking towards the castle if you pay attention you'll notice that the buildings will narrow in as you approach the castle this is the force perspective that they used from every angle. So from every land looking in, everything narrows in to the castle so that no matter where you are in the park, the castle will always appear larger than it is. And for anyone who doesn't know, Cinderella's castle and Snow White's castle are the entrances to Fantasyland in both parks. There's a circular area in front of the castle that branches out into the different lands. So I appreciate everyone listening to the Force Perspective thing. I mean, I was trying to use it as an example of for the Mandela effect, but at the same time, I find that incredibly interesting. I didn't really know about that. And I mean, when you're standing in front of Cinderella's castle, it looks way taller, way taller than it actually is. I just thought that was so interesting. There was a ton of other information too about the construction and everything and just about the castle in general that was really fascinating. But that is going to be it for episode one and part one of the Mandela Effect. For anyone who is still listening, thank you for going along with me on this journey as I learn how to do this and 
how I overexplain everything. <laughs> As time goes on, that should happen less and less, fingers crossed. Next week, we will go over the theories of the Mandela effect, which range from things as simple as false memories all the way to parallel universes involving the CERN Collider. Stephen Hawking believed in parallel universes. So I think these are really interesting and I'm looking forward to doing that episode. If you would like to contact me with podcast ideas or thoughts, you can email me at in a nutshell pod yt at gmail.com. So that's again in a nutshell pod yt as in YouTube at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram at in a nutshell pod. I'll put the YouTube link up as soon as I get something posted on the channel. Again, I hope you enjoyed. It was certainly a lot of fun for me. I'd like to sign off on a different note by saying how important it is to educate yourselves about the things and people around you that you may not fully understand. It can negatively impact the life of someone special if they encounter those who don't understand them, but have an incredibly positive effect when they encounter someone who does. I'm obviously talking about autism. There is a lot of push in our modern day society to just quote unquote accept things as they are without question. While this is an incredibly nice sentiment and should be applied to everything, I mean, you should accept people for who they are. It does not help people like my kids when they encounter people who don't understand their specific needs or issues. So while autism acceptance is important and obviously the main goal, the road to acceptance is awareness. And I'd just like to ask that everyone learn what you can about autism. If you have any questions for me about anything, especially autism, the host, send me an email and I will always be happy to answer. I can't speak for the whole autistic community, obviously, but I think the majority of us are happy to educate the world about who we are. There is an expression that goes, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Truer words were never spoken. My kids are night and day different from one another. I am different from them. It is truly why it's called a spectrum. It is unbelievably different from one person to another. So it is important to try to understand what you can. So thanks for listening. That was the Mandela Effect part one in a nutshell. And part two will be out next week. I am not going to give a date because it seems like the universe hears the dates I throw out and then sends a thousand curveballs my direction. Until then, I hope everyone has a great week and I will be back soon.